Hello and welcome to another Use of Force. For this week, our walk between the Queens and Brooklyn Botanic Gardens. We have an incident that took place in Bed-Stuy in 2014 involving Naeem Owens. Jesse's going to talk a little bit about it now. So usually we start this with reading the use of force report that comes from the NYPD. For some reason, this incident is not listed in the use of force. It's not completely clear. The, the title above the incidents that are listed out is referring to incidents where someone has died during the intentional discharge of a weapon. So that makes me think that maybe because in this case, Naeem died due to the police discharging their weapon, but he died about a week later. So that might be why there's no use of force report here. It's unclear, but we will just continue and talk about the incident itself. So, like Mike said, this happened in Bed-Stuy in 2014. And I guess we can start by just talking about what actually happened and then go back a little bit and talk about the what led up to this incident. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, what happened in September of 2014 is that Naeem was walking home around two in the morning just a few blocks from his house and he saw an unmarked police car, an undercover officer, and started running and he had a gun and the officer jumped out of his car and started chasing him and they ultimately shot at each other and Naeem hit the officer, or grazed the officer is how it's referred to, and the officer shot Naeem multiple times and ultimately it led to his death. What led up to this is actually a really, there's a, there's a lot that led up to this. Mm-hmm. So at the time that this incident happened, Naeem was 22, but this story actually starts much earlier when Naeem was still just a teenager. His brother, Kyle, in 2007, was also killed by the police. Mm -hmm. And that happened after many incidents where Kyle was involved in mental health scares and the family had called the police and the police had come and helped him and ultimately what happened to Kyle is something that you know we've talked about on here before where he needed assistance for his mental health and was killed by the police instead. He 
was having a a mental health emergency and he ultimately was it was a almost like a suicide by cop event where he was holding a hairbrush that was wrapped in a towel and the police thought it was a weapon mm-hmm. and prior to that happening had said you know said things like he was ready to die and was in that state of mind so this had happened in 2007 and Naeem is two years younger than his brother so when this happened he was just a teenager and it really affected the way that he felt about police in general it wasn't they they if they were anyone that he felt could protect him before that he definitely didn't feel like they could protect him after that Mm -hmm. and there's a lot to talk about and there's actually a couple really in-depth articles about Naeem's life that you know if, if anyone wants to really read all the details I would recommend that but we're gonna just briefly tell the story here mm-hmm. and what happened with Naeem in his teenage years was that he was often stopped by the police both for just general stop and frisk the first time it happened he didn't stop he started to run away the cops caught up with him and they ultimately took him into the precinct even though he didn't have anything on him but they handcuffed him and took him in under saying that he was being uncooperative and anti-cop was the language that they used. So when his mother came to pick him up, she was obviously distraught. And that was sort of the first incident where he was involved with the police. And then from there, it seems as though the stop and frisk was happening regularly. A lot of the people that knew him, his girlfriend, his friends, all said that you know it this would happen where the police would drive by and Naeem would just know what to like he just knew what to do and he would just do it and got to a point where I was almost like jaded about it where this is just something that happens Mm. and most of the time he wouldn't there'd be no problem Uh, he wouldn't have anything on him but at one point he was found to have um, crack cocaine on him so he was arrested for that he was also involved in some other drug charges he also was involved in having a gun his one of his friends spoke with the police and told them that he had a gun and helped them to set up a chance for them to arrest him um, which did happen so there were all these incidents and when Naeem was um, 16 I believe he was arrested and taken to jail for five years Mm. and 
during that time, he made friends with some other people that were in the prison with him and other people sort of his age and they were talking about you know this is like just trying to process what it meant to be there and what they were how they were supposed to get through it and thinking about you know this is something that'll make us a man and um, just the, the stories sort of around it are really sad because it's just a story of a lot of or a number of young people being in jail and having to figure out how to deal with that and how to reconcile the fact that they're, you know, having to spend their teenage years in prison instead of out in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, sh- I should say before that happened, actually, there there were just so many incidents with the police. They It was like they were out to get him. And that was what Naeem felt. He had he got beat up by the police a couple of times. At one point, he got taken to the hospital, to the pediatric unit, because he was still a teenager, in handcuffs after being punched in the face by the police. Mm. And the medical, the you know, the person that took him in, the notes, the medical notes say that he got beat up by the police. And so throughout all this time, you know, before he did end up in jail, his mother got a lawyer. They were trying to figure out what to do. They, it was recommended that they move to a neighborhood where the police don't know him. Um, it didn't. I don't think that was something the family was able to afford to do, unfortunately. But it really the the story that's being told and what it seems like from what people are saying. It really seems like the police were watching him and like wanted to get him in trouble. Yeah. And whether that's because they knew they had killed his brother and felt something about that or if there was an other motive that's unclear but it really by all accounts it really seems like there was they were out to get him sounds like a bullying yeah it definitely seems like a bullying so when naeem got out of prison in august of 2013 he got a job as a janitor he was thinking about getting into construction. He had a new girlfriend. He was sort of trying to figure out what his life was going to look like out of prison. And he was now 21 at this time. So he's an adult, you know, mm-hmm. still a young adult. But but because of, you know, the people he knew before he went to jail and then the people that he met there, he was still sort of associated with people that were getting in trouble by the police. Mm -hmm. So he was associated with a group of people that were selling heroin, crack, and guns in Bed-Stuy that the police had listed. And at some point in the police investigation into that group of people, they found out that one of the heroin dealers owed Naeem money and was trying to decide whether to pay him back or to shoot him. And because the police were informed of this, I guess part of their police procedure requires that if they know someone's in danger, they need to alert them. Mm -hmm. So they went to Naeem in June of 2014 to 
let him know what they had learned. Naeem said that he had an idea who it was and he wasn't too shocked and that ended the conversation. But it was, you know, so from June of 2014, it was clear that Naeem knew that there was a possibility that someone was trying to kill him. Mm -hmm. And so then the next thing that we're going to talk about is the actual incident. And that was on the night of August 30th, 2014. Naeem was shooting a music video with some of his friends who were part of a rap collective called Stack Paper. Mm -hmm. And he was heading home around 2 in the morning. And he was only a couple blocks from his house where they were making the video. And he, this is when he saw the undercover officer drive by. And, you know, according to some statements, they made eye contact. And then he touched his waistband and began to run. And then that's when the officers chased after him and ultimately like we talked about at the beginning of this they ended up shooting him in the back and they took him to the hospital and while he was at the hospital he was really nervous that the officers guarding him were going to try and kill him and he still, you know, he was not in good shape. He had breathing tubes in. He wasn't able to talk, but he wrote these things down to his family when they came to visit him. And ultimately, the officer shooting in his back actually damaged several of his organs, and he did not recover. And so six days later, he passed away. And he ended up being buried in the same plot as his brother. Mm. And so thinking about the actual incident where the police killed Naeem is, I just think with the whole, knowing the whole story, it's really hard to not feel like there was a conspiracy. Just mm -hmm. to think about, you know, of course this young person is going to be shaken if someone is driving. He knows that someone's out to kill him, potentially. The police had told him that someone might be out to kill him. Mm. It's confusing to me why there'd be an undercover detective driving by, locking eyes with someone that clearly the police know very well, and then be shocked in some way and feel the need to scramble out of the car when he runs when someone he doesn't know is locking eyes with him at two in the morning mm -hmm. i think it's just yeah i just uh, try to put myself in that position and if i was walking home at two in the morning and i locked eyes with some man in an unmarked car i would probably run too if it looked like he was watching me mm. and that's not a crime. 
like there's no reason to get out of your car and chase someone when you're not even presenting yourself as a police officer. Right. So even standing alone, the incident doesn't seem to make any sense to me. And then with all of the information that we have, it makes more sense, but not in a way that makes me feel like the police were doing something appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess that the, the idea is that he was, because he reached for his waistband, or even if he hadn't reached for his waistband, the idea that he was acting suspiciously. Right. Was the issue. I guess that's the issue, but I think walking home at two in the morning in Bed-Stuy, in, which is in Brooklyn, in New York, the city that doesn't sleep, like, that's not suspicious activity. Walking down the street in your own neighborhood shouldn't be considered suspicious activity. And I, yeah. Well, they, not that aspect, the running away of, on seeing the officer. A person, well, yeah. A person. But that's, you know, I, I do understand more if they had been marked as police officers, the mm-hmm. running away would be suspicious. But like I said, you know, I could see myself running away from someone if I, especially if I'm notified that there's people trying to kill me. Right. And. Yeah, it just. Ugh. I think the way, I think probably what you're saying, yes, the the officer's account saying that he touched his waistband and began to run, I think that seems like something that the officer is probably trying to allude to that, meaning that they recognize he might have a weapon, and that seems like maybe the reason that they would give to have chased. Yeah, I mean, that's that's part of the language that, is used in these reports to indicate to the reader that there's justification here. And depending on the given story, we learn that those things sometimes are not true. Right. So whether or not it happened here, there's no additional witness account of that. Yeah. I mean, there's some security footage, but I don't know if it indicates that inciting moment or not. Right. Well, I also think, you know, we've talked about this, the idea of chasing a suspect in general, not necessarily being the best approach. And in this case, yeah, it almost just seems like they've escalated something that it was, this man is walking home. It could have been that he just walked home. You know, that would have been his original plan. Mm-hmm. But the police, by driving their unmarked vehicle around bed at 2 in the morning, which also, why do we need to do that? Mm-hmm. Like, if you're out there at 2 in, in the morning to protect people, to make sure that people get home okay, then make people know that the police are out there. Let us Let us know who it is that's driving by. I don't know why an unmarked police car needs to be patrolling a neighborhood unless you're specifically looking for one person that you don't want them to know that you're police, you know? 
there's really, in my mind, I don't know what the point of an unmarked police presence is unless you're trying to trick someone or trap someone or confuse someone. And at two in the morning in a city, that shouldn't be the time to just randomly be trying to trick people. Like everyone's already on edge if you're walking home alone at two in the morning. Right. So it just, to me, it just seems like a lot here where the more I've thought about it, even without all the background information, it really just seems like even if this is legal procedure, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't seem to make any sense to police like that. Yeah. It does seem like there is a correlation to his brother's death in some way that there was a sense of guilt or wrongdoing perhaps on within the conscience of the precinct perhaps yeah and i'm sure naeem you know was devastated by the loss of his brother and perhaps was acting in a way that was you know uh perhaps uh caustic you know maybe he was not trustworthy of the police which obviously that would be a thing right and the reaction from the police should be to try and take extra care of this person not to make his life hell right exactly but that would be in a situation where you know the it's not about policing people it's about caring for people yeah that's not the unfortunately that's not the system that existed then it's not the system that exists now but it it is a system that i think we're now at least trying to steer the boat in the right direction but it's going to take a long time i agree yeah i don't think that the nypd like you said then or now are in a position where they're trying to be kind and caring and understanding of what people are going through. Yeah. But I I also agree that that is something that people maybe outside of the police force, maybe some people inside the police force, but mostly outside are trying to push uh, that, that type of care to be more important. Yeah. So this is in court still. This this case, the family did uh, create a lawsuit, and this is still pending. The officers that are named are the are Marcel A. Francis, who's the Patrol Borough Brooklyn North Specialized Unit. John R. Hirschberger, Kwame N. Kip, Abbas A. Kaimin, and Conrad J. Zakowiecicz. And those are the five officers named in the lawsuit, mm-hmm. which, like I said, is still pending. 
I wasn't able to find any more interesting information out about those officers, but um, I did just want to name them for the record here. Yeah. And other than that, I think there, like I said, there is a lot more to learn about Naeem Owens and his brother Kyle and his family. There has been some really great in-depth reporting and storytelling. So if you Google their names, you're able to find that and read more about them. If there's anything that we didn't mention that you think we should know about, either with this incident or any others that we have talked about, please reach out and let us know. And till next time. Bye.